This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, it's not going to bite you. We're talking, man, I wish I was 15 again. And we're talking... The Nut House, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're discussing I Got My Own Sweet Pussy Waiting For Me Tonight. Oh, Jesus. Something you will never hear me say, um, ever, but so I felt like I had to say it here. <laughs> sure. You know what? Seize the opportunity. Why not? Um, but yeah, everyone, we are discussing, um, as part two of our Toxic Masculinity Month, we are discussing Marcel Sarmiento and Gaddy Harrell's Dead Girl, the 2008 um, rape movie. <laughs> yeah, content warning for extreme sexual assault, and also continuing our recent trend, the dog dies. The dog definitely dies. Although you don't, well, I guess you don't see it in either one of these movies. Although, does it happen next week? I don't even know. I don't know. It's been a while <laughs> since I've watched next week's movie, so we'll see. Well, it's been a while since you've seen this movie, right? Or did you see this recently? I watched this a couple of years ago. Yeah, for some reason, I come back to this one every few and. It never gets easier to watch, I'll say that. You know, I'm going to mildly disagree. I mean, look, it, I would not call this an easy watch by any stretch of the imagination. However, I do pick up on more and more of its humorous undertones every time I watch this movie. Interesting. I do have a quote from one of the film's stars that will back you up, but uh, I'm not sure if you're going to get the same level of enthusiasm from our two guests. I... Yeah, I don't know. But we're going to find out, so let's bring him in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, we've got two guests today. Uh, one, he is the host of the Watched Once Never Again podcast, which explores disturbing movies across all genres. He's also got bylines at Bloody Disgusting and Gaily Dreadful. And you may also remember him from our episode on The Ruins. For number two, she is the editor-in-chief of Dread Central, the co-host of the Scarred for Life podcast, and the director of the upcoming horror film Bystanders. You may also remember her from our episodes on The Vampire Lovers and We're All Going to the World's Fair. Please welcome, respectively, Dax Ababin and Mary Beth McAndrews. 
Yay! I'm really glad I got introduced first because I I would have felt really <laughs> shitty following Mary. Oh my god, don't say that. It's up. true. It's true. Whatever. Just because you're not the editor in chief of Dread Central. <laughs> Pretty much. You want it? Yeah, I'm that's the only <laughs> Tradesies. But yes, welcome to Dead Girl U2 and Based on what Joe said, it sounds like um, y'all hate this movie. <laughs> we do come to you in hatred. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if hatred is. I don't know yet. I've been. You've made me think about this movie too much, and I. I wish I wasn't. But it's fascinating in a way that I wasn't expecting, and that is very confusing. So I'm very excited to talk about it, because this is one of these rare movies where I'm like, I really didn't like it, but there's something going on here that I think is very good to talk about. So I'm excited to be here to discuss it with everybody, especially as part of the Toxic Masculinity series. (laughs) It seemed perfect for a watch once, never again reunion between the two of you. But also, I mean, I feel like if you don't enjoy this movie then you get what the movie is trying to do. Like, it is purposely designed to make you feel uncomfortable and like, oh, humanity is garbage, but mostly men. Yeah, it's like one of those, maybe the only movie where it's like, it could either be read as the most misogynistic movie of all time or the most misandrous movie of all time. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Depending how you look at it. And it's very weird because I know we'll get into this, but I kept flip-flopping and I still don't know exactly where I fall. I think I do, but whatever. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of it. I just, this movie is like wormed into my brain and it's just very fascinating and interesting. So I'm very happy. I'm here, happy to hear y'all say that about this, at least. Um, so I will say, so we timed this um, completely um, inadvertently. So they just released, and by they I mean Unearthed Films, released a 15th anniversary Blu-ray. Oh, that's right. Not two days ago. <laughs> I'm sorry, of this, of this recording. That's right. Oh, that's right. Because you, I just like you posted about that, Trace. Yeah. And so basically, uh, A, there's a ton of new interviews. That's all the new footage. Um, so we've got new interviews with one of the directors, with the writer, with both of the lead actors. There is not an interview with Jenny uh, Spain, who plays Dead Girl. However, there are two commentaries that were both ported over from the original uh, like 2008 DVD. One is a commentary with the cast and crew. I didn't listen to that. But the other one was a commentary with just Jenny Spain and a female moderator. That is so fascinating. That's cool. And granted, both of them vehemently defend this movie. Um, I I thought it was... Because I, I thought at first it was just going to be Jenny Spain talking about it. I was like, well, that's interesting. But no, they were smart. And they got like a female academic to interview her during all this while defending the film. But also going into like things that uh, why people might not like this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I ended up uh, finding a kind of anniversary post on birth movies death written by Noah Segan saying this is the movie that people contact him about the most and he he does defend it as one of those like yeah you know we knew what we were making and there's a very distinct point to it but it does seem like people inadvertently just want to look at it and be like no this movie is a piece of shit it's so misogynistic there's no redeeming qualities to it and i think that that's kind of missing the point of it like 
you don't have to feel good about it to appreciate what the movie is doing. Well, but it's also about like it, it, what they're trying to do. And I will br- give you lots of quotes from this director. I mean, the director is Harrell. It's not Sarmiento, um, but also the writer Trent Haga. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be, about, hey, what are they trying to do? And yeah, especially for the naysayers, do they succeed at doing that? Yeah, that's a really good point, I think. Also, the context of this being 2008, mm. we are in prime... Like, I know we're all having some weird discourse about torture porn, but I'm Mm -hmm. still using this label currently. We're in, like, prime torture porn era. We're in prime nihilism era. We're in prime post-9-11 horror interpreting the arc, like, world era, especially in terms of masculinity. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting film in terms of that context. And that was really fascinating to kind of just percolate on as I was watching it, because this is... The same year as, like, I think Paranormal Activity. It is, yeah. And that's another really interesting mask. Event. They're all, they're both very different. But again, it's like <laughs> interesting looks at masculinity in mm-hmm. ways that you perhaps wouldn't expect. And I will say with that commentary with Jenny Spain, because it's ported over, it's an older one. This is from when the movie came out. I do wish, like in a post-Me Too world, like, you know, 15 years later, I would love to know her thoughts on the film now. And unfortunately, yeah. we don't have that. I wonder if it's more like she said her piece and how people have received it in the last 15 years doesn't matter to her. It's entirely possible. I just I don't know. Hmm. Okay, well, luckily, because there's very little information on the production of this film. So thankfully, because we timed this perfectly with this Blu-ray release, I have lots of information for (laughs) y'all. So screenwriter Trent Haga had been working with Troma for a few years in the late 90s. Mm. And Vildo Trent Haga, so I think he's probably most well known for writing or co-writing the 2013-2014 film Cheap Thrills. Right. Mm. But anyway, so he specifically worked on the trauma films Terror Firmer and Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Avenger 4. And while he was enjoying his time at trauma, his issue was um, when you're working for trauma, you're making uh, a Lloyd Kaufman movie. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman, of course, being one of the co-founders of trauma entertainment. You didn't really have a lot of leeway. You had to stick within their guidelines and their rules or Kaufman's rules. Sure. Haga wanted to do something that was his own. uh, Dark, sleazy, uncomfortable, and weird, which... Well, according to him, doesn't completely fit the trauma brand. I would argue that it does, but those films are also um, maybe not as grungy as this one. They're not. Ni- they're not very nihilist. There's like a fun to them. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. They're entertaining. They're not trying to <sighs> do whatever yeah. this is doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not trying to be. They're not trying to be whatever this is doing. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Because I'm like, they're not dumb. <laughs> yeah, they're not often trying to be serious. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so while location scouting for Toxic Avenger 4 in upstate New York, he found a high school and lots of abandoned hospitals. And he kind of got <laughs> a, not, not obsessed, <laughs> but really fascinated with these abandoned hospitals. So he, in his words, they skeeved him out. <laughs> so after touring a bunch of them, he started to think up an idea for a movie that could use both a high school and an abandoned hospital as its main locations. Because, of course, trauma, he's thinking about budget constraints here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But he also notes that he's a fan of, again, skeezy. He loves this word skeezy. Uh, skeezy high school movies, specifically referencing Tim Hunter's very polarizing 1986 film River's Edge, which starred Ooh. Keanu Reeves and Crispin Glover. That is a really good one, folks. Ooh, I so I've never seen this. Is it is it a similarly rough watch? Because I think this is, it's like about a murderous teenager, right? 
It is not. It's about teenagers who find a dead body, and instead of reporting it, they bring their friends to come and look at it. Oh, so like this version of Stand By Me. <laughs> yes, but with no rape. There you go. The Combining the locations with the ideas of the types of film he likes, Dead Girl came to him. And this, again, this might make y'all like question Haga and his character. Um, but despite being a family man with a wife and kids, um, he says the two lead characters of Ricky and JT represent two warring parts of his personality. You've got, <laughs> the, you've got the quiet, artistic type of kid who wants to do the right thing, but is very allured by the dark side. And therefore, it makes him ineffectual, like any teenager oh, would be. Shut up. Sorry. But JT, but he says <laughs> JT represents the version that I that part of me wants to be in a sense. So like Ricky is more the reality oh. of what I am, but JT is like my id. Sometimes mm. I just think men need to not speak. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, I just don't. I don't think he needed to share that. Like, I, okay, look, I get what he's trying to say, but maybe I don't need. Like to. <laughs> that's such a weird gross. Thing I would to refrain say. from identifying with the character specifically and being more like JT represents the id, whereas that's Ricky what I'm represents. <laughs> but I also think that could be a very surface level. Uh, interpretation of what he's saying because I don't think he's saying oh I want to go out and rape women I just think he's saying that like JT is like that kind of asshole that sometimes like the, our very worst impulses within ourselves want to be like that is absolutely what he's saying but I still don't like it it's it's poorly worded yeah yes. like exactly like this is the thing I get that it's just like I th it, as a woman Guys, I'm a woman, in case you didn't know this. As as a woman <laughs> who studies a lot of movies like this and who has, in fact, made a movie like, or is trying to make a movie like this, it's just so fascinating sometimes how men put their foot in their mouth without thinking about it. And, and I again, I think I'm also projecting how I feel about this movie onto what he said as well. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm, also, sure. like, my reaction being projected until I perceive those characters and being like, how could you ever admit to having similarities to them? I get that that's the point of the movie. It's just, you know, like you said, it's like, it's kind of like a gut reaction to being like, oh God, like, I know what you're saying, but can you think about what that means before you say it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let, let's move on, because I, I will have more quotes to it. Trust me, we will have plenty to say about this. So, okay. So, Haga wrote the screenplay in the year 2000. He first actually took it to Lloyd Kaufman at Troma, who liked the screenplay, but said the tone was just, quote-unquote, not him. <laughs> so, Haga moved to L.A. later on in the year and pitched Dead Girl to a few different people, but they kept telling him no one will ever make this movie. <laughs> so, he shelved it. In 2007, uh, Gadi Harrell, uh, so one of the co-directors of this film, uh, who had worked with Haga at Troma, said he had a directing partner in Marcel Sarmiento and wanted to meet up with him so they could pitch their services. Uh, basically, hey, you've got a bunch of scripts. We want to direct one of them. So they go to his house and Haga's got a shelf of about 40 unproduced screenplays sitting on it. And oh, wow. Yeah. While looking through it, um, the title Dead Girl stood out to them, and they asked about it. And given his previous experience trying to pitch the film, he was like, <laughs> no, don't worry about it. No, everyone tells me it's unfilmable. Like, it's not going to happen. Still, they read the script, and Harrell just could not shake it off. And he liked that it was a very classic, well, I don't know if I would call this a classic coming-of-age story, but in his words, <laughs> a classic coming-of-age story, um, but just in a truly horrific, unexpected um, manner. So... The script got under his skin, and he was like, nope, that's the movie we want to make. So a week later, Harrell and Sarmiento call Haga, and they're like, hey, we're going to option your screenplay. We're going to make that into a movie. And Haga was like, okay, good luck. 
have fun. Let's raise some money for it. So they go to several production companies in an attempt to get actual financing for this. But pretty much every um, financier they went to disregarded the project as pornography. Some of them did get it. Uh, one of them even said, hey, we get it. You're trying to make like a twisted, fucked up, weird science into this like weird, fucked up horror film. But we can't give you money to make this. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, interestingly enough, though, um, Harrell does say that now that he's 15 years older, he would probably try to push the film into one of those easier categories that would get financing because that he just knows the business now he's proud of the fact that they stuck to their guns and made the movie they wanted to make with this one but that wouldn't happen with him today right in an unusual turn for a screenwriter Hago wound up assistant directing the film um, and even sat in on casting calls and when it came to casting dead girl herself and i call her dead girl instead of the dead girl because i feel like it humanizes her a little bit more but again to each their own He makes it clear that girls were not getting naked when they auditioned. (laughs) They just had girls send in videotapes, um, and they told them to act feral. Uh, Jenny Spain, who would eventually be cast as Dead Girl, um, her audition tape is on the Blu-ray, so you can actually watch this audition tape. Okay. Cool. But to weed out pretty much um, every single girl that auditioned, they made it clear, hey, this is the plot of the movie. There's also a lot of sexual content and nudity, and that, of course, weeded out most of the girls that came in to audition. Mm Mm-hmm. Fun fact, though, uh, Jenny, Jenny Spain had her pubic region shaved um, naturally, so they had to get a merkin for her, but not for the reason you might expect. A uh, merkin, of course, being a pubic wig in this sense. You see, Asian markets won't buy films featuring pubic hair-free nudity. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. I guess like that's why when you see some Asian porn, like you know, they have like the faces and the genitals um, blurred out. The genitals sometimes is because they're, they're shaved. Huh. The more you know. Yep. Uh, so the film shoot lasted for 18 days and they had a budget of $250,000 and the hospital they used for this was Loma Vista Community Hospital in Boyle Heights in LA which Joe we talked about earlier this year because that is the same hospital they filmed Insidious Chapter 2 in Mm -hmm. (gasps) yes I remember this coming up then and thinking oh I have to talk about this again later yeah Generally speaking, though, it was an okay shoot, though Harrell said that Noah Segan would get frustrated often, uh, chalking it up to the fact that Segan was the only one of this production that had been in a bigger movie before. So he knew how things were, quote unquote, supposed to go. And that's not what they were doing on the set of this film. (laughs) (laughs) The big film, of course, being Ryan Johnson's Brick. And actually, I think the same year, um, The Brothers Bloom. Okay. Kind of a funny story, though. So the makeup effects artist, Jim Ojala, uh, who had also worked on Toxic Avenger 4 with Haga and um, Harrell, he would go on to work on higher profile films like X-Men The Last Stand and Lady in the Water doing makeup for that. But he had a female assistant who, on the first day of shooting, came in yelling at him, saying that she had just read the script, laid into him. I thought you were a family man. This is disgusting. I have no respect for you. You're sick. So she quit. Fair, fair. Uh, But yeah, so Dead Girl had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 6, 2008. Hello, 15th anniversary. They had just finished the movie the day before it premiered. And unsurprisingly, it courted a lot of controversy and reactions were all over the place. But critical reaction overall was, well, negative. Um, We're looking at a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.5 out of 10, whereas Letterboxd users have given this a 5.2 out of 10. Yeah, I can say with... Only a certain amount of pause, which you just heard in my voice. This is the hardest film of the four that we're going to talk about this month. I would agree with that. Yeah. But um, 
Interestingly enough, when Haga was asked whether or not the controversies affected him, um, so again, uh, Mary Beth and Dax, y'all might hate this. <laughs> okay. um, oh, he said no. that every time he sits down to write a movie, he says to himself that he wants to make something people either hate or love with an extreme amount of passion. So he loves the controversy about it, but he doesn't understand how someone can look at this movie and think that it advocates rape. Still... He knew that by even depicting this stuff in this film, people would interpret it that way, even though he maintains that this depiction does not equal endorsement. Uh, he goes on to say that it's just a punk rock thing. He wants no. you to be angry about this movie. Stop it with the punk rock shit. Well, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Look, I like Lars von Cher movies, so <laughs> if, right. any, if anyone's going to be like a pretentious asshole or something like that, it's going to be him. So I, I get wanting to make... Um, challenging movie on purpose that's kind of the stuff i'm into mm-hmm. his previous comment was really weird <laughs> and i don't think worded correctly but punk rock i don't know i would leave my genre out of this <laughs> <laughs> well interjecting so so jenny spain said she was attracted to the film because of the script um because she said she related a lot to this script it's about peer pressure and teenagers and real life stuff that happens um, when people tell her that this role is degrading and that she is being degraded. And how could she subject herself to this? She vehemently disagrees. She says it's it's somebody who is putting themselves in a situation that happens in real life. Um, of course, the real life situation just being rape in general, not the zombie portion. She says, if somebody were to have been in that situation, would you actually go up to them and say, you're disgusting, you're degrading? I... I... Hmm. I, I, I get what she's saying here, but the difference is she is willingly subjecting herself to portraying a a rape. I want to say victim, even though I know we say survivor, but she's also not a survivor because she's not alive. <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of get her comparison, but I'm also kind of like, yeah, but like people that get raped don't like choose to get raped. But Mary Beth, I would love to hear what you have to say about that quote. Which one? Well, so she's comparing people saying that she is degrading herself by being in this role. She's comparing it to an actual rape survivor saying, like, would you go up to a rape survivor and say, oh, you're disgusting, you're degrading? Yeah, uh, well, people do do that. Hey, well, surprise, surprise. Hey, people do mm. that. It, it is a rough one because, again, I can see on one hand, like, if she's saying these things back then, I am curious. Like, are you are you saying this to kind of, like, make yourself feel better for being in it? Or do you really feel that way? And if you really feel... And, and I don't doubt that she feels that way. I can see how you can, like, kind of derive some kind of potential catharsis, maybe, from that. But comparing it to an actual rape survivor is perhaps incorrect. It's like, it's again, like all of these quotes are like, they're worded in a way where it's like, you were almost there, but I don't actually think you got it. And it's like, I understand what she's trying to say, but especially with the ending, which we'll talk about, it's, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's just very complicated. <laughs> Is it like that, a, um, that's an fair. issue with it being like 2008 where like, we just didn't, not we, but like, you know. As a society, society we didn't we didn't like know how to talk about this stuff. I think the context is that too, and I think you know she's again in a, in a genre, and especially in this time period where women were really kind of subjected to a lot of bullshit on screen. 
she probably was trying to be like, look, this isn't the normal role you see people in, but I can see where she taught, like, thinks about this being like there being catharsis and there being some kind of like a revenge aspect to it, which I'd love to talk about. But there's also the denial of that catharsis. And there is something interesting to be talked about there. But again, mm-hmm. I don't know if she had the language to talk about that. Because again, like you're saying 2008, it wasn't as much of a conversation. No, at, if at that all. time period. Yeah. And she does confirm it a little bit by saying like, all I did was play the part of somebody who is a victim. And to me, I don't find that degrading in any shape, way or form. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. That is interesting. That quote in particular. Yeah. You are right, though, like, particularly when we're thinking about what language we had to talk about some of these issues, because in the Noah Segan piece that he wrote for Birth Movies Death, he does talk about how a lot of the times when people would confront him, they they were just like uncertain of how to even broach the conversation. And when he was writing it, I think it was like 20 18 or 2019 and he was saying it feels like we're finally starting to catch up and we can now like we now know how to actually talk about some of the issues that the film was trying to capture yeah oh huh hmm well when asked if she feels like there are any lines that should not be crossed when watching a horror film span continues um no uh, i think that horror is all about pushing boundaries and if someone has a problem with it then just don't watch the movie again but even specifically with this film she says i do believe that this film a a man a a male person can watch this film and say "Ooh, i'd better not do that (laughs) i mean i would hope so well I i would really hope so well, interestingly enough, I think this to me was the most interesting part of all these special features. And it's funny because I almost did not watch this interview, and it's with the makeup effects designer, Jim Ojala. And he says, you know, is it responsible to make a film like this? And he goes, unequivocally, yes. Uh, Trent Haga and I grew up around a lot of these types of kids. The scuzziest kid you've ever find. The lowest common denominator. I would hang out with kids like JT and Wheeler. I know those kids. That probably seems very extreme to some people. I've had a lot of people tell me that people like that don't exist in this world. But I can tell you right now, from a lived experience, they do. I know they're real. And if you're going to know how to look out for them, you need to tell their stories too. Hmm. But then the thing becomes, okay, so I'm curious for y'all's thoughts on this. Okay, let's say this is a cautionary tale for children of this type or for teenagers of this type. Are they going to see this as a cautionary tale? Are they going to see this as, hey, like, I relate to this character on screen and, oh, my God, like, this is a mirror held up to me and I feel shitty about it? I I don't know. No, I feel like that type of guy. And in fairness, like, I have met people who I absolutely think would do this, like, in real life. And I don't associate with them, but I know who they are. And I feel like their takeaway would be, oh, don't want to get my dick bitten off. Like, it's yeah. not like they would be like, I I should investigate my own toxic masculinity. You know what I mean? It's definitely, mm-hmm. this is the kind of movie that they think they're saying something. And in a 2008 way, they are. But it's it's going to be held up so much by, like, edgelords. It's like, you watch the movie where the, the dead girl gets fucked. And, like, maybe we're evolving out of that. I, it, I hope we are, deeply. But, like, I have grown up with people that 100... Like, this is, this is a horror movie only because there's a zombie aspect. Like, if she wasn't a zombie, like, it would feel very real. Because I feel like I also know people who would do this. And, yeah, that sounds fucked up, but, like... When you grow up in weird neighborhoods, sometimes you meet some fucking weirdos. 
and like it could very much happen but these people i the people that watch this i think they wouldn't get i don't i don't think they i don't know if they would do you know what i mean that's such an interesting takeaway too and i don't mean to like divert this conversation because i know joe hasn't seen this film but did y'all watch soft and quiet last year oh loved yeah. it okay, see, yes. okay here's the thing so I love that movie, too. My husband, who is Hispanic and Spanish and Mexican, uh, he hated it. And he was like, I just don't understand why someone would make this. Because to me, like, if an alt-right MAGA racist person watches this movie, they're not going to get, like, a message out of this. They're just going to enjoy the film for what it is. And that's kind of similar to what we're talking about right here with this film. Yeah, I could could definitely see that. I disagree. Mm Mm-hmm. But I I totally can see where he's coming from with that, too. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not a big release. Like, do you really think that audience is going to find this movie? Like, what audience is going to be able to access this, I feel like, is another mm-hmm. really kind of thing to think about. Like, like rapist stoner boys? Well, it's like, okay, I played at Toronto. So, like, how is it distributed? And I guess if you hear the controversy about it, those are the kind of boys or people, not boys, I shouldn't say it. It's like... Well- yeah. But I guess my thing is that if you're if you're an artist making art, sure, maybe that's your intended audience. But again, once the art leaves you, like once you're done making it, it's kind of out of your control. So intent is yeah. one thing, actual like effects are another. <laughs> yeah. 100%. But Ojala does go on to say that he was disappointed with the outright vitriol against the people involved with the film. Um, He says people acted as if we had made a snuff film, but I think they're missing the bigger picture or the point of making this film. So passing it off to Joe, I'm just going to ask what I hope to answer in this recording tonight. What is the point of making this film? Okay, so we open with Ricky, who is played by Shiloh Fernandez, as well as JT, Noah Segan, and they are sitting outside of the school during a fire alarm. So right off the bat, you could infer a certain amount of like truancy to these boys. And in fact, they will leave school to go play hooky very shortly. Yep. So before they leave, Ricky has a moment with Joanne, his sort of childhood crush. She is played by Candace Acola from The Vampire Diaries, among other things. And we know that she's a good person because we see her stopping bullies from playing keep away with another boy's inhaler. (laughs) What do y'all think of Joanne? Boring. Who even is she? (laughs) This is my biggest fucking annoyance in this movie. It's, yeah, it's, like, manic, who is it's, her? Got, it's got manic pixie dream girl energy. You know what I mean? And like, 100%. but without the personality. <laughs> well, it's, sorry, I, girl. So I, I agree with you, Mary Beth. Actually, again, on my rewatch, I was like, oh, like I, I would be more comfortable defending parts of the, this film if this girl was an actual character. However, no, see, I no, I completely disagree with all of you. The reason that she is the way she is is because this film is filtered through the yes. boy's perspective. That, so of course she probably has a rich interior life, but we're not seeing it because these dumb dumb boys only see her as a walking sex object. A hundred percent, and that's I what hate even when you're right. Even with the basic concept of dead girl, I'm kind of like, yeah, like this, this to me is almost a satirical look at how rapists view the women they rape. I mean, I don't know that that's satire. I think that's just real. Well, allegorical, allegorical or something like that. Metaphorical. I don't know. No, I think it's just real. It just is. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, I think you're 100% right, but I do still think she's boring. But I guess because we don't get to see her rich interior. But... But that's, again, the commentary, right? Like, why is he so obsessed with her? She's nothing. But it's just because that's who he is. 
Can I just say, can I confess something? Sure. Just real quick. <laughs> he is why I don't like this movie. It's not JT. Because oh. he's less outwardly, like, upfront about how horrible he is. It's that, and also, I, I, I am not trying to be a hater, but I don't think this is Shiloh Fernandez's best performance, nor do I think yeah. he's given much to work with here. Hmm. Um, so, I just don't, I don't think he does a very good job. Oh, Sorry. I disagree with that. I mean, I, I, I agree he's not really given them, he has a much more interior stuff to work through, whereas JT yes. is much more of an outwardly horrible person. <laughs> Right. Well, and he's the flamboyant villain, right? Like, Ricky is meant to be our hero, but he's just misguided throughout yeah. the course of the film. Mm-hmm. That Using is one way to put it. Massive scare quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I do, I very much agree, Joe, that you're right that we are seeing the world through their eyes and that, you know, she doesn't have much of a character because obviously she is like this manic pixie dream girl figure and we see these really awesome moments where she's like you're a fucking loser like you're an idiot and i like i do appreciate that and obviously the ending shows that like he's not a good guy Mm -hmm. but there's something missing for me and again like 2008 context maybe didn't have the language to discuss it it just i think there's so much about this movie that is trying not to glorify and make this a spectacle, but I also think it glorifies and makes it a spectacle kind of by accident. Interesting. It's hard for me, even understanding that we are seeing this world through the lens of these boys, still as like a woman who has been seen that way, it mm. really fucking sucks to see it on screen. And And honestly, that might be where like, all of my discomfort is coming from because sure like i'm gonna be real here as a rape survivor and as someone Mm. who has faced a lot of harassment it's really hard to watch that on screen and feel like any kind of motivation to empathize or understand these characters and Mm -hmm. and i know that that's not fit what's i know what they're trying to do but it's just very difficult from my perspective to just divorce that because of how seeing how like cool great you're showing me how men see me what am i supposed to fucking do with that information i already know and maybe that's just my perspective you know what i mean and my own kind of personal stuff being projected onto it but it just it's hard to watch and i know it's hard for everyone to watch but like it just yeah and it's a again all that is extremely valid. It's a very valid perspective. Obviously, yeah. I and I'm not even excusing this. I do wonder if part of like like how we're not delving like deeper into their psyches more is because it's not a laziness per se, but because Haga and one of these directors, potentially the other director, um, this is kind of the embodiment of their brains. If they were like, oh, we get it because it's us. We're writing a version of us almost. Hmm. I don't know. I think that they're seeking to walk that really fine line between exploitation and somewhat conventional. I mean, obviously, this is before we ever even use the term elevated horror, but they they think that they are trying to communicate a message about toxic masculinity, the depths of depravity within teenage boys and how you can kind of be led astray by your peer group. And I think they're probably not accounting for differences in perspective from their own lived experiences. So like a woman watching this movie is going to have a very different experience than like me. Well, 
what I think it, this is kind of a peek behind the curtains, but we had a Patreon messenger like reach out to us and says like, you know, my, my bar for um, is it is it misogynist or feminist? Like it's pretty low. Like, does the film think women are human? Does, does the film think women are people? And right. we, we've mentioned it without pointing it out like explicitly, but there are no female creatives involved in this film. Like this is a male directed two men directing this movie a man writing this movie full male cast with the exception of our dead girl and joanne but i don't find this film exploitative and i do actually think that the film does view dead girl as a human being despite being a zombie it it gives a couple tells like when she like touches ricky's hand well, it, it's not even it's not even just that, oh, like she has semblance of humanity. I just I don't think that the film's attitude towards dead girl is one of degradation. Hmm. I, I don't know. Sit with this. Well, it's tricky, right? Because we're trying to suss out what the film is doing. And then there's the difference between what the characters are doing. And yeah. obviously those can be two different things. So this leads me to something that I'm I've been percolating on. Because something that I was in her, I was like kind of tracking in this movie is like how they show rape and how mm-hmm. they show violence against her body versus how they show violence against male bodies. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think that is a really important uh, to me is a really important way of watching movies like this and digging into what they're trying to say. Because I think sure. if you can compare the gendered violence, if there is gendered violence, and boy, howdy, is there gendered violence in this mm-hmm. movie? Mm-hmm. We get extended scenes, like we don't get extended like pornography scenes, but we see like we get multiple scenes of watching them like fuck her and rape her. We get the extended scene of the guy putting his dick in her mouth, and while we don't see it, like we are subjected to watching him rape her mouth, and while his friend rapes her vaginally. But then when she enacts violence against them, it's quick cuts, quick cuts, quick cuts. We don't see mm-hmm. the castration. We don't see these bad things happening. It's very fast. When he is, that that kid that she bites his dick is, like, shitting in the bathroom, it's very quick. And you still see the gore. But my thing is that they seem to give a little bit more reprieve in terms of showing the violence against the men versus mm-hmm. the extended sexual violence against her and then Joanne as well, who is then also stabbed and then turned into a zombie to be a fuck doll. And to me that kind of comparison is that's where I kind of my sticking point right now is. I will say again, not defending more so just like stating outright. So this budget was $250,000 over an 18 day shoot. I wonder because they did have a mold of a penis um, for the guy that gets his dick bit off. And there's a whole like anecdote about how, Oh yeah, like it was filled with all this stuff, but she couldn't tear the penis. And so it wasn't like working the way they wanted it to. The most violent acts, I'm sorry, the goriest acts in this movie, I think are done against men. But yeah, as you said, Mary Beth, we have these quick cuts. We're not seeing them. Like, we're not focusing on them. And I do wonder how much of that was because of budgetary constraints and how it doesn't look good. Like, literally doesn't look good. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But at the same time, it's really hard to not, even if it's budgetary, I think mm-hmm. it's like still something that, like, even if it's a subconscious thing, it's a cognizant decision. It's like they made that decision. Right. And again, like, I I know it's, I'm not, like, making a huge judgment call here, because, like, I know that these guys are fucked up and all that stuff. Like, absolutely (laughs) not denying that. We, they get their comeuppance. But it's just, it's difficult when you see this girl 
just get over and over again. And again, this is my perspective, but like they poke holes in her that are warm and just like they were literally poking more holes in her to fuck. And to me, I'm sorry, that's grosser than anything, any biting off a penis is like poking someone poking a hole in your dead flesh to fuck it because you can't find a warm hole. Like that to me is more repulsive. And again, that's on purpose. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's one of those important things to kind of track and discuss movies like this. Like, okay, yeah, it might have been budgetary, but still it paints a very weird picture for you to have these extended sequences of like playing with her rotting nipples and poking like holes in her flesh and to fuck it. And then like the moments when she can kind of have some kind of agency, even though she's a zombie. So what like what agency and consent with zombies, like that's a whole other weird topic of conversation. Like, right. You don't get to see... It's satisfying, but I don't think it's as satisfying as it could be. And yes, I understand budgets, but still, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So why don't we talk about this first scene where we're introduced to Dead Girl? Because I do think it sort of sets the picture for us and obviously offers us insight into how JT and Ricky are purportedly different, at least at the beginning of the film. Mm -hmm. So we go through this hospital... We have Chekhov's rabid-esque dog. Uh, you know, one of the things that I find interesting that the film never attempts to explore or explain is how did she get there in the first place? Who covered her in the tarp? Who mm-hmm. chained her up and so on? So I think we're just led to believe that, you know, oh, yeah, you think JT is bad. You think Wheeler is bad. We come to learn that Ricky is bad. But there have been other bad people, probably bad men, who have done these kinds of things before. So to me, a lot of the film is actually very cyclical, which is also shared in the sort of repeated, like, we're just constantly coming back to this stage where we find dead girl. And it's like, Ricky goes home, and then he just comes back. And then Ricky goes to school, and he comes back. Yeah. We've also got JT throwing out lots of words, like really, I'm sorry, everyone, I'm like faggot and queer in not positive ways. (laughs) No. Yeah. And I mean, that is a significant element of the toxic masculinity in this film. When we still think that Ricky is a good guy, we're led to believe that he is going along with all of this because so much of the film, I think, is I think the piece that the filmmakers believe is the most interesting part is Ricky's will he, won't he succumb to the temptation that JT is offering him, quote unquote, because he feels, oh, if I don't, I'm not a true man. Well, you know what this movie, that particular through line of this movie reminds me of the most. And if we hadn't covered it already, we would absolutely slot it into this month's theme Mm -hmm. is Hostile Part 2. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, like there's the one that is clearly insane that you know is a murderer, but then you have the one who's like nice and meek and shy, but he actually turns out to be kind of the most psychotic one of the two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do think the other interesting point of comparison, and maybe we can bring this up if we all remember it, but we do often name drop teeth in comparisons in both like reviews, but also Mm. Noah Segan talks about teeth as like, yeah, we were kind of trying to find a through line around this point when we were making this film. I actually wanted to bring up teeth because I kept mixing the, the, I hadn't seen Dead Girl since like 2011. Mm Mm-hmm. So I kept, like, melting those two movies together in my mind. Like, I was like, oh, and then her vagina bites off 
Right. Um, the yeah. Guy, but it, it doesn't. Her mouth does, which good for her. But the thing is, I've seen Teeth so many times, so like I know it's I know it's not that movie. I don't know. They're actually pretty different in a lot of ways. But I, I think I think they can both be in conversation with each other. But also Definitely. talk about a, a, another movie about female rape <laughs> that's written and directed by a man. Although I think the director of that movie might be gay. That's interesting. Yeah, I would I would love to talk about those two movies together, but who has the time? We just have this one, Dax. <laughs> <laughs> so when we discover the dead girl, or just dead girl, one of the things that JT immediately clocks is how she has magazine looks. And right off the top, he notes this and then Ricky says, oh, we should contact somebody. We should free her. And uh, JT's response is to punch him. And to me, that's like, oh, that's a nice encapsulation of this entire film right in one interaction. Well, that's her toxic masculinity right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, and the rape, but. Does she kind of look like Bjork to anybody else? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it all comes back to Bjork, Mary. I think she looks more like Bjork the more she gets beat up in this movie, which is a really weird thing to say. <laughs> really god. weird to say, but not untrue. Not untrue. <laughs> okay, now we're paging Lars von Trier. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> Uh, so at this point, this is when Ricky leaves for the first time. So he goes home and he leaves JT alone with her. And we see as soon as he gets home, he's there by himself. I do love the fact that we've got this specter of a mother who apparently lives in this house, but we will never see her. And I do think that that's in part the film's condemnation on like where are the parents but specifically like oh this boy is a product of divorce or separation or maybe death we don't know where the dad is but like where is mom mom is never here and then that means that all we're left with is fucking clint who's played by michael bowen that's interesting though because so we have that home life but the only thing we know about jt's home life is that he lives with his grandmother and mm-hmm. What Haga and even Ginny Spain says in her commentary is like, you know everything you need to know about JT based on the first thing, scene you see of him. And he lives with his grandmother. And I was like, I didn't I didn't realize that was a big clue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always take that because, yeah, we get this line right near the very end after JT has been infected and his upper lip has been ripped off. And he pleads with Ricky not to tell his grandma. And I'm just like, huh. So you know that that what you've done would not be palatable or it would not be acceptable to your grandma. And that is your baseline. But apparently, like, everything else is kosher. But that that line, though, is so infantilizing. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, these are just children in, like, not even men's bodies. Yeah. Playing like being men. Yeah, 100%. So interestingly enough, that's exactly what Clint is trying to impose on Ricky when he sees him. So he gives him advice on TCB, taking care of business, and being a quote-unquote real man. Hell yeah, brother. And that's, again, I, I know you gave a definition of toxic masculinity last week, Joe, but just to further on that, it's kind of adding into the fact that 
full disclosure, this is coming from the Wikipedia page for toxic masculinity, but socialization of boys sometimes also normalizes violence, such as the saying, boys will be boys, about bullying and aggression. Self-reliance and emotional repression are correlated with increased psychological problems in men, such as depression, increased stress, and substance use disorders. Or in the case of this film, um, rape, sexual violence. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really feel about this film as it has aged is that it is a little bit of a future forecast like it did kind of see some of the writing on the wall particularly the way that we excuse specifically white teenage boys and we've seen a lot of cases in real life about rat boys jocks other powerful men who get away with rape because they're you know promising athletes or they have affluent parents and that kind of stuff and even though we very clearly see that jt and ricky are kind of like on the lower end of the economic stratum uh they very much come off as like entitled shitty boys that's something that noah segan points out in one of his his modern interview that's new on this blu-ray where he's like you know social media in 2008 wasn't what it is today and dead girl maybe didn't predict it but like was in that that conversation about oh like edgelord like this type of male culture that has now become a subculture because of social media bringing these types of people together um in horrible ways right mary beth you still there yeah, sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm processing a lot of emotions right now. Sorry. No, you're fine. This is a very hard movie for me. <laughs> so it's like hard to talk about. Understandable. Because... Sorry, I'm like getting a little bit emotional. I apologize. Um, no, you don't apologize for it. <laughs> it's just like this movie reminded me so much of like the guys I dated in high school. So it's really hard because like mm-hmm. I knew so many guys like this that like, and mm-hmm. I think that's why I don't like it. Cause I think it might hit too close to my heart. Like not right. that, not that anyone I knew raped a corpse as far as I know, but like <laughs> the people that I hung out with and the people that I spent a lot of my time with were like this. And I think it's really hard to see such a realistic portrayal of how shitty they were and how they did not see people like see women as people. And I think mm-hmm. it's really hard to see that. And like, see how i might have been seen i think this is the most realistic portrayal of how i was probably seen as a teenager and like i think that kind of fucks me up a little bit Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i don't think i've ever seen such an accurate portrayal of how i felt as a teenage girl like even with my guy friends who i thought were my friends who actually revealed that they only wanted to fuck me like this hits it so hard and like not to get too personal but like someone that tried to fuck me when i was like 18 just apologized like two like couple weeks ago for what he did like talk about weird it's like very weird but just like i know i'm getting very personal but like it's hard like this is a hard movie Uh, sorry personal question then um did that offer you any kind of catharsis or was that like a too little too late thing for you oh too little too late that was (laughs) yeah i've had too much therapy now (laughs) (laughs) and also fuck that guy yeah that was a whole thing I just had never answer. I was like, I can't do this. So it's just like, I think it's so hard to watch because it hits it so well. And it's like, well, I don't want to see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, perhaps that's a compliment. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, I'm not quite sure <laughs> exactly if that's a good thing or not. But yeah. It's touching a raw nerve. 
Yes, that is for sure. I feel that. This movie uh, made me feel a lot of weird gender feelings. Oh. Do you want to elaborate? No, just because it is weird because, like, I was um, a teenage girl. Yeah. Right. But, like, I also didn't feel like one, but I didn't fit in with the boys like this, so I would never, like, I don't know. It was just really weird. Mm-hmm. So I feel you, Mary Beth. Yeah. But slightly different because I was fully like a butch lesbian, but that doesn't matter to some people. (laughs) (laughs) But that truly doesn't matter to some people. It's really weird. I find that this is the point in the film where I can almost take a step back from it and treat it more as a piece of entertainment because... When they first find her, it does feel too raw. Like, we know that there's something not quite right with her because I don't know how any person could be living under those circumstances and still be okay in the way that she appears to be, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But then when Ricky comes back and we get this detailed description from JT about the violence that he has inflicted on her. You know, he revels in the fact that he has not only been sexually assaulting this girl, but that he killed her three times and then he proceeds to shoot her multiple times, thereby implicating Ricky in any kind of crime, right? Like he's basically Mm -hmm. doing this to keep Ricky quiet because it's his gun. So he would be aligned with any kind of crime if they were discovered. But to me, I'm like, oh, JT is such a fucking villain now. It makes it entertainment is the wrong word, but it moves the movie into artifice territory for me, whereas before it was very upsetting and difficult. Well, hey, I'm sorry. This is a complete... It's still related to the film, but like the score for this film, it... I don't know if I, how recently y'all have seen Donnie Darko, but a lot of the score for this sounds like it's plucked out of Donnie Darko, which for me mm. gave me a real weird sensibility because <laughs> they're both like right. high school movies about uh, about troubled teenage boys, but it's very differently. But I, I know a lot of people think, oh, Donnie Darko is like that edgelord, like film bro, like jack off movie. I don't know. I just like a lot of the score I felt was sometimes at odds with the visuals that we were having on screen. Yeah. I mean, as we proceed through the film, I do think that in some regards, the boys' actions, it's taken to such an extreme that you could almost begin to mistake it for comedy, where you're just like, this is so fucking fucked up, I can't even process it, and my brain moves me from upsetting content into like, okay, I guess this is just now what we're fucking doing, like, I have to laugh, because if not, I would just cry. Do you think that they did that on purpose? Like, do you think that was part of it? They were like, we need to make this so ridiculous that it actually turns out to be funny. But, I mean, do y'all find humor in any of this movie? No. Um, I don't know. I couldn't say. I'd have to rewatch it again and, like, actually think about that. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and we will not put you through that <laughs> let, let me clarify too i am not saying the the movie is making light of or making a joke about rape i absolutely think a lot of the comedy and again this is not a i would never call this a horror comedy i don't think this is a black comedy but i do think there are comedic elements in play i yeah. always think the butt of the joke though are the men in this movie yes. never the, never the woman never the dead girl never dead girl never the raping 
Yeah. And and that's kind of that fine line that I was alluding to earlier, where it's trying to hit this really, really heavy message. But then, you know, we have these moments of high comedy, which are underlaced with huge darkness, where we discover, oh, we can make our own new dead girl. So we go yeah. to the gas station and we try to abduct Nikki. And then she takes a hit from a crowbar and then promptly beats the shit out of these two boys. Oh, yeah. And I laughed. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I think there is supposed to be comedy in it. I don't know if I thought it was funny. I, I just don't really like this movie. Like, I, I feel... Like, <laughs> so I didn't Valid. think it was funny. Like... Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're watching something and you're actively saying, I don't like this, I fucking hate the way it makes me feel, then yeah, you're probably not simultaneously sitting there and going, ah, that boy got a, a hit to the balls or something like that. And I think that's what I find so interesting about it. But also I'm fully recognizing like Trace and I are sitting here from a position of privilege where we are not sexual assault survivors. We yeah. are not women. And I think it's just it's easier for us to distance ourselves and be like oh i see what this film is doing because we are actually yeah. probably more aligned to the filmmakers and what they were trying to achieve whereas the two of you were like what the fuck this movie is really getting me in the feels but also also who do you think is the intended audience do you think it's women do you think it's assault survivors or do you think it's boys like jt and ricky or, or maybe just boys in general maybe that's why we're in that <laughs> that, that mindset joe Maybe. I'm a boy. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to exclude you, Dax. <laughs> you guys. I mean, I'm, I think Dax is bringing a unique position to the conversation as someone who has never identified as both genders, but had to live through a period where you were being misgendered by people. Mm -hmm. And... Trace and I just have like a slightly skippier walk through life because we haven't had to go through some of the same hardships the two of you have gone through. Thank you. That That's a much more eloquent way of putting my thoughts into words. <laughs> I would agree with that. It's just, huh. What do I want to say here? So it's also hard for me in terms of thinking about the con, like the cultural context, which I brought up earlier of this movie mm -hmm. and like, I, I see a lot about what it's doing, and I do agree that, like, the boys are ridiculous, and the boys are shown to be ridiculous, but I think it's something about this, like, cultural context, and of still, like, wanting to play into this idea of torture porn, and how uh -huh. a rape of a woman is, like, really the marketing here. Like, let's be honest. I know, I know what this movie is about, but the whole reason people know about it is because it's the it's the movie about the guys who raped the dead girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I I get that, especially and working in film that like you want to be able to market your movie, especially a movie like this that's like repulsive and going to have backlash. But it's still so fascinating to me that like it was very much a marketing move in a way. If you really want to get cynical about it. Speaking of marketing for this movie, the poster for this movie is mm. um, actually the lips of the dead girl, but rotated. So it, it looks look like a goddamn vagina. It looks like a vagina, yeah. but it's her her actual like mouth lips. Yes. And that, I think that's another part of it that the more that we're talking about this, the more that I'm kind of like understanding that like 
There's also versions of the poster where she's obviously dead, but it kind of looks like she has an orgasmic face, too. Yes. Like another right. version of the poster. Mm. Her um, eyes are, like, rolling back. And I'm not saying faulting necessarily the directors on this, because it's, a lot of the times they don't really have a hand in that. But it still, to me, is this idea that, yeah, they're trying to talk about masculinity, but it's not known for that. Mm. And again, I, this is kind of, I've said this before, like, hopefully this is changing. And I think that this conversation might be help, like, we might help that if people listen to this and are like, oh, maybe it's time to reappraise this. But I think the marketing strategy of being like, haha, look, they fuck a dead girl's pussy is just like, not it. And mm-hmm. they leaned into that spectacle and that sensationalism in a way that I think is incredibly harmful to a movie that I do think is trying to say something within a torture porn context. It is handled much more carefully than I had initially expected. But I think the marketing and the way that it is pushed really, I think, harmed Right. The intentionality of it and turned it into an exploitative sounding spectacle because that is exactly what I was expecting going into this movie. Joe, do, do you find this movie exploitative? Well, it, it's interesting that we say this, right? Because we often talk about things like taboos on all of our respective right. podcasts, right? It's like, what do oh, people yeah. find scary? But also, what is horrific? And not like, ooh, gives you nightmares in bed, horrific. It's like, what are things that we as a society cannot process? And I do think sexual assault is one of them. And I feel like we've made some leaps and bounds in terms of the way we depict sexual assault and whose oh, stories yeah. we tell and that kind of stuff. Like, I think we've gotten a lot better, particularly as more women and more marginalized figures have entered that fray. But the other interesting thing about this film, which none of us have really been doing, is that technically we're crossing a necrophilic taboo as well. Like we've all been treating dead girl as a proper person. Like we're acknowledging she's dead, but we're treating her like a real girl. Mm, Because I think that's what the film leads its audiences to believe even when we're showing mutilated corpses and body horror stuff but the characters don't treat her as such and i think that's where some of that cognitive dissonance comes from where you could look at this and say oh it is super exploitative because really we're talking about necrophilia and rape well i guess to I, oh god don't think i'm a terrible person but like that's also where kind of part of the comedy comes from for me mm-hmm. because look if i found a zombie my first instinct would not be, not be to fuck it. Let's fuck it. <laughs> and so it's almost Fair. ridiculously comedic in a way to where they're like, oh, yeah, that's our first thought when we find this dead girl. But you didn't hang out with the people Dax and I hung out with in high school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas I think for for a certain group of people, they're going to look at it and be like, kind of like your reaction, Mary Beth, where it's like, oh, God these fucking boys like of course that would be their first instinct and they're awful well but even like the line the line where jt is like man we got to get some lube or vaseline or something because she's dry as a bone down there again i do think that's kind of meant to be a very darkly comedic line because it's like what the fuck dude Mm. I think it is. I I just didn't find it that funny. I did find it funny when they get beat up in the parking lot because how can you not find that funny? But then well, it's that's like, cathartic. That's cathartic. Well, sure, yeah. But I don't know. I almost felt like the humor was like, I don't know. It it didn't work for me. But even beyond that, I feel like it was almost like misplaced or something. Like I don't know. It just Mary Beth. What do you think? Like, do you find it like inappropriate? 
I, I'm getting into my own head again. I just like, I've had guys say things similar to me before when I was like too drunk. So like, mm. it's not funny because I've heard similar things before right. in a really fucked up way. So like, to me, it's not funny because like men have talked like that to me. So it's yeah. like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like straight white teenage boys are awful. Like they are awful. Would you agree that they should go to jail and prove their way out? I don't even think they should prove their way out. I think they need to just stay there. <laughs> but that maybe adds an extra layer that I'm not familiar with. But it's it's a thing where it's like then the comedic aspect comes from, yeah, it's a corpse. <laughs> yeah. It's a very weird attempt at cognitive dissonance that is very hard. It's like they are saying she's dead. But mm-hmm. she's also a zombie and is obviously, yeah. like, feeling slash processing in some fashion what is happening to her. So even though she's a zombie, they still give her... Agency's not the right word, but actually there the is. Right there's, like, it's almost, it's, like, borderline agency for a zombie. But it's this weird thing where it's, like, yeah, she's dead, but she's also alive and you're relishing in what you can do to her body. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying you're wrong about it. Fine. I just, it's like projecting again, my own experience no. of just being like, you're a foul piece of shit. And like, I hope you get your dick ripped off kind of. <laughs> and like, Absolutely. it's just, yeah. And you don't need to apologize for any of this. I mean, again, I, yeah. I, I do think, I think Joe said something like this at the top of the episode. I think this is probably one of the most difficult movies we've ever had to discuss. So, while, especially with you two, I feel like you are feeling a lot of, like, feelings in the moment, like, in real time, and we're, ha- we happen to be recording that, but uh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no one is wrong or right no. here. Like, we're all working yeah. through very difficult feelings about some very difficult subject matter that is meant to challenge us, that is meant to confront us. So, at the very least, I, I, I appreciate y'all both having these conversations with us. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe it is punk rock. maybe this conversation is punk rock but it it also to me feels a lot like these guys these guys being like the writer and maybe the directors but like trying to like work out their own demons and like Mm. i know i had a very visceral reaction earlier about that quote that man said i'm not taking that Mm. back necessarily but it's like okay maybe you're trying to parse through your own issues of masculinity which is important right yeah, I like I see that. It's just it's such a masculine lens, and that's not a bad thing because again, I don't think I am the intended audience for this movie. To be perfectly honest with you, like the more we're talking about this, like I just don't think I'm. Intended. We still haven't figured out who the intended audience is. I do think the intended audience is these. I think the intended audience are these kind of fuckboys. I would I would think that perhaps, and I just am not intended audience, and I just don't really. I think that makes it harder for you than... Yeah, like, I don't care to watch this man parse through his own psychology in this way, which I know sounds fair. unfair. Which that, it sounds unfair because I don't want to be like, men can't process their feelings this way because that just feeds into toxic masculinity, you know what I mean? So it's like... <laughs> well, no, no. So, so, I know. It's like, no, no. what the fuck? <laughs> so we're the problem. So, so the makeup artist quote, that, that Ojala, where he's like, we need to tell these men's stories too. When he said that, I was like, you know what? I do get it. However... In 2023, I can see a lot of people saying, um, no, we don't mm-hmm. need to tell those people stories. 
because we've heard them. And it's like, but at the same time, in 2023, like, maybe we do. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird because I do think that this movie, I think if you watch it in 2023, you have a better appreciation because I think we can better talk about it. Again, we're looping back to what we talked about at the beginning. Like, we do have a better language for discussing it. But like, I don't know. It's it's so sticky. It's very sticky. Dax, so mm-hmm. what you're saying about, oh, oh, we've seen this story so many times before. I, I get what you're saying. Because when, when we're having the conversation about, oh, who should tell women's stories? Who should tell stories about sexual assault against women? Like, okay, we're right. kind of in an age where it's like, you know, maybe women should start telling these stories. And I totally get that. But at the same time, I almost get what Ojala is saying about this. Because, yes, we have seen plenty of straight men's stories, straight white men's stories on screen countless times. However, mm, I almost appreciate the willingness of Haga and the two directors to delve into their the, the most uncomfortable parts of their psyche, the most despicable parts of their psyche, and lay them out for all of us to see in this movie in their intended way to critique it, to say, hey, this isn't right. All you kids who are growing up in these like low income houses, uh, neighborhoods, and like uh, toxic masculine lifestyles, like we had growing up. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe I rambled on too much with that. No, not at all. I was just asking, like, if you thought maybe because we've heard them so many times before, like we've we've seen the movie where the the men are trying to figure out their own masculinity. I feel like like mm. the writers and directors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just asking questions. I'm just, I'm just here, <laughs> and that's fair. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here. I want to see a version of this movie directed by a woman. You know what I mean? Right. I would like to see that too. I'm curious. I, I wonder how different it would look. And you know what? Maybe Lisa Frankenstein's going to be that movie. Who knows? <laughs> So it's not even for me just I want to see the, uh, the female creative version of this movie. I want to see the modern version of this exactly. movie. Exactly. Yeah. Because I don't think they would make that. this movie in any way, shape, or form the same. And and maybe that's a bit of a duh statement because I don't think you would make a 60s film in an 80s context either. Sure. Okay. I want to redirect us just because there are some other characters we haven't talked about and i'm curious to know if your feelings or the way you view the film is altered when we introduce characters like joanne's boyfriend johnny who is played by andrew de palma and his friend dwyer who is played by dolan funk because i do feel like these are also characters that are like oh they're reprehensible but I think they're edging the movie slightly into some of that other comedic realm because they are so oafish. Well, hey, I will get confessional here. It's not even a personal story of mine, more so like, a, ooh, I, I maybe shouldn't share this. But in the scene where Ricky goads them into mouth fucking, m- mouth raping this girl and rape and rape, vaginally raping this girl from a strict bullying standpoint. Mm-hmm. I understood where Ricky was coming from. And I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was like, fuck yeah, like trap this motherfucker, make her bite his dick off. But I'm saying this, and I'm wishing this to happen at the expense of dead girl. And of course, yeah. that's uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my God, fuck, I'm an asshole. But at the same time, I deeply understand Ricky as a character based on how Johnny interacts with him. Yeah. <sighs> 
I guess to me, it felt more like he was just jealous because of Joanne and that he was right. using he was using oh. dead girl's mouth to get revenge on the guy who's getting what he wants. I did not know. Yeah. Because I saw it. He, Ricky was like, I can use her as an object because she'll do it. She'll bite it off. Well, I... I mm. Mm. Hey, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I personally yeah. did not get that from this moment. Although, granted, when we get to the ending, maybe we can elaborate on that. Because obviously, yeah, Ricky has this darkness, this evil, this rapist inside yeah. of him. Um, well, I think this is like the first shining moment of that. I think like, I just, yeah. I think Ricky's a little shit too. Sure. And I think this is the first moment of him being like, oh, well, I can use her for my advantage. Because if Absolutely. she bites his dick off, then I can go to Joanne and have her because he can't fuck her. Absolutely, yeah. but me as a viewer who has been, who has been bullied um in his childhood and yeah. his teenage years, I was very much like a fuck yeah. But mm. again, I stop and think about oh fuck, what is that saying about me that I'm willing to maybe sacrifice is the right word, but like use this woman as a way to get my revenge on this bully? Because I was very much like a fuck yeah. Like when he shits his intestines out, I was like, good, got it, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> you're done. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to weigh how much catharsis do we get out of the back or the last act of this film? Like, is it enough, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound that we feel vindicated for all of the other horrible things that we have had to see in this film? And again, I mean, I think if anything, this conversation has proven that your mileage is going to vary significantly based on your viewing experience. I think for Trace, I'm going to speak for you and I, we do feel like there's a certain amount of catharsis, like what happens to these people is satisfying. Sometimes I wish I could see a little bit more happen to JT. Mm. But then, you know, it all circles back again when we get that confirmation that Ricky is a total piece of shit. And even though he's dressed Joanne up in white, it's like, no, dude, you're you're just JT (laughs) wrapped in another dressing. Which I think that's also part of the message of the movie. <laughs> oh, 100% it's the message oh, of the movie. Absolutely. I mean, it's very much about like the cyclical violence and how like even the good guy's a piece of shit. Like, I definitely see that. Uh, there's like, there, there comes a point where I'm like, okay, I get it. But like, also, what's the point? Because again, I'm seeing it as a woman being like, cool. So you just, just reminding me again that like, woo. Well, and, and I guess that's the thing is like, you know, for me watching this, and again, I'm using this specific moment because this is the moment I related to the most in this movie, yeah. which again, mm-hmm. even for me to say, oh, I relate to this at all. I feel almost ashamed to say, mm-hmm. but, but hmm. I don't know. I, I again, <laughs> when I watch a movie like this, so when it comes to like the media's response, a film's responsibility as art, like oh, what what is this film's responsibility in terms of social commentary and whatever? I as a viewer put a lot of myself in it, right? So I'm like, well, I would never rape someone, so like I am understanding the messaging here, and that's where we're going into the uh, the intent, right? So the intended audience are boys like JT and Ricky. Are they going to get this message? I get the message, but I'm also not a JT and a Ricky, with the exception of me relating to Ricky in this particular scene. But even that, I'm kind of like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I gotta do some soul searching here. Well, and like, that reminds me of like, what happened when I Spit on Your Grave was released in theaters. You know, we all know that, that mm-hmm. infamous rape revenge movie where it's like, Mir Zachi, who directed it, was, like, using it to process finding a young woman on the side of the road who had been attacked, and he meant it to be his own exploration of what happened to this woman, which is his own fucking thing, but 
he didn't mean it like this, but people, like, men were cheering in the audience, like, in theaters when, like, she was getting raped and stuff. And, like, there was, like, these really, like, people were, like, gross about this, about I Spit on Your Grave. I interviewed um, Marizachi's son about this, about I Spit on Your Grave, and, like, people were, like, kind of disgusted because people were, like, cheering about, like, the react and, like, the reaction was, like, super weird to it. So that's hmm. my thing. It's like, okay. And it's, and again, like, it's hard because it's like, you know, you can have all the right intentions in the world, but like, what do you do when people have that reaction? Like, it's not, right. are you responsible for that? Even if it wasn't your intention? Like, oh, that's a complicated question, really. I don't know how to answer it. No. It, you know what I mean? Like, it is, it's yeah. weird. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Well, I think inherently our reactions to art and, you know, it, it's very amusing slash interesting to have this kind of very loaded conversation packed with feelings but also questioning like what is the intent who is the audience like these kind of very basic questions about a very controversial film it's interesting to have this the week after we talked about funny games which is all about like oh i'm deliberately trying to push your buttons and make you understand this is a fucking movie that you're watching Mm -hmm. and i do wonder like if something like Dead Girl were more, I think it's relatively self-aware, but I wonder if it was doing more of that fourth wall breaking where it's like Ricky looks at the audience and says, hey, do you want what's about to happen to happen? Like, I do think it would implicitly change the way that we view this film and we would have fewer questions about it. I just had a really good idea for a modern interpretation of this, so thank you for inspiring. Yeah, same. That that just like lit my brain up. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it, it's just the thing where it's like when you're dealing with subject matter that is this dark, this depraved by creators that are not women, that th- those questions are just going to come up all the t- especially in 2023. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The responsibility question, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Responsibility when women make them too. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, one hundred percent. It's not like anybody gets a carte blanche, right? Yeah. Like people will still be held accountable. Never give me a carte blanche for that shit. But I know what you. I know what you mean, though. Like it is. It's easier to question when, like, like what perspective is it coming from? Yeah. Well, and that's where mm-hmm. we're going back to the very, very, very beginning of this recording. When I was like, well, like Trey Hoggett may not have said that he was like this was him working through his own inner demons and stuff, but by saying. JT and Ricky are parts of my brain. That's made very clearly evident by that statement. Um, So it's almost a thing where I'm like, I don't like, I don't begrudge him that, but how much do we (laughs) need to know about the writers in her life to understand what the point of this movie is slash how effective this movie is slash what the effect of this movie is. Yeah. I mean, as I've said a couple of times, I think your reaction to this, like i.e. the effectiveness of the film is going to be very much based on who you are as an audience member and what you're bringing to the film compared to what the intention of the creators were like i think the film makes it very obvious that all of these boys are very bad ricky is not any better and that's why we get the ending that we get and then it's like whether you think that this is a valuable piece of art, if you think it's misogynistic, if you think it's garbage and nobody should be watching it, if it's exploitation, that's not something that they can control. It's like, cool, as we've said, it's out there in the ether and now it's just art and we get to talk about whether we think it's successful. Right. Yeah. But okay, so let's talk about this ending because I do think that, you know, this is how we leave the viewing experience 
as we said, Joanne is not really a proper character, but she's very clearly made up to be this fictitious, sexualized object in the end. I think the thing that grosses me out the most is that Ricky has changed her clothes. Um, is this after she's been dead girled? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I do want to point out that again, another beat of comedy is that while she is dying, while she is in her death <laughs> she throes, does fucking grow up. Fucking mm-hmm. grow up. I, I did. Lo- that was one moment where I was like, this Good is the energy her. that I love to see. But I guess, yes, you're right. So, A, Ricky is horrible. Does, I guess my question for both you and uh, Mary Beth and Dax is. Because the ending of this isn't, I would not ever call this a happy ending. It's actually very upsetting. Yes. Given everything you think about the film, is this the ending that you think is fitting for this film? Or do you think this is a more irresponsible ending for this movie? Oh, I think it's very fitting. I think it I think, had I it. think it's fitting. I think okay. if they hadn't had it, I would have been like, oh, so cool. So we're just like making him the hero. The good guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it would have been more irresponsible that way. Yeah. I think because of this ending is a lot of the reasons why I kind of like, I can appreciate this movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the end seals the deal. Yeah. Because I I think a lot of, like I had a lot of struggles. Like, why do we care about Ricky's home life? Like, why do we have to kind of like, why are you trying to make him the hero? But then I I do see what they're doing in terms of like, haha, see the hero is actually also a necrophilic piece of shit. And like even actually just as bad, if not worse than, JT because he made this he made this chick like and he he made that mm-hmm. conscious decision finally like covet her as an object so I mean like I do really appreciate that ending for sure and I think that that kind of saves not saves I don't think it needed to be saved necessarily but I think it really does like kind of it's like that final nail in the coffin for like pun intended of <laughs> what this is supposed to be Right. Yeah, it hammers home the message. It hammers home the message, which is also just, like, incredibly disturbing that the nice guy is not the nice guy. And I think I like that story. I think that's a really interesting story to tell now about this, yeah. like, nice guy. Because there's, like, we play, we talk so much about this, like, nice guy assumption narrative online and all this shit. So I think this is kind of... I mean, like, I don't want to say ahead of its time, but I do think this movie was working in some really interesting concepts that are hard to discuss. Like, it does, I, I will give that credit for that, for sure. It's prescient in a way. It's anticipating cat person. God. <laughs> Talk about a bad oh, movie. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> it's not oh. good. <laughs> it's trying to do the same thing about good guys who are actually not good. But mm. less rapey. And less successful, I would argue. Oh, not successful at all. <laughs> I think I do appreciate how hard it goes. Because as people who follow me and, like, as y'all know, I love extreme movies. Like, I love mm-hmm. movies that are pushing boundaries. I think that, like, I'm not saying that we can't have movies like this. And I think it's really interesting how this movie pushes those boundaries. It's just, like... It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And is that a good thing? And I, I, I know we keep, again, I know we're repeating, I'm trying not to repeat myself, but it's like at the end, I do think it is positing that really interesting question that gives me pause about like, maybe this is a really fascinating, and again, it made me cry just now because it reminded me of my own like childhood experiences, which is fucked up in its own weird way. So I don't know. Yeah. I would definitely say it's fascinating. And I, I like extreme movies are my thing. 
So I want to reiterate that this movie being extreme is not why I dislike it. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I appreciate that it goes as far as it goes. Whether I like it or not, that's not really relevant, I guess. I <laughs> well, it's relevant to you, it's but it's doing. not about the success of right. its extremism. Yeah, like, I can separate my own feelings from, like, about the movie overall from, right. like, whether or not it goes too far. I don't, I don't think it goes too far, especially given what it's trying to do. Okay. Is it successful in doing what it's trying to do? I don't know. Well, okay, wait, 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 wait. So, hey, let's do this. Regardless of what we have heard from the filmmakers, the writer of all this movie, based on just your viewing experiences, what do you think this movie is trying to do? And maybe conversely, B, what do you think it's actually doing if it's different? I mean, I think this movie is trying to say something about toxic masculinity. I think it's trying to talk about these cycles that boys get trapped in and how easily boys can fall into these this violence and the way boys are. Mm-hmm. And I think it mostly gets there. But I think because it's working within this kind of torture porn framework, mm-hmm. it's still pretty male gazy. I yes. think it's trying to operate within a framework that is not the best for this kind of movie. I think this is a movie that, like, on paper, I do really like this idea of investigating the extremes of toxic masculinity in this way. And honestly, it's like, it's hard for me to say that I don't think it's successful, because it really is. I mean, Jesus, it reminded me of all these terrible boys I knew in high school. So, like, maybe it is really (laughs) successful in what it's doing. Like, I'm not, and I'm not joking. Like, and that's deeply uncomfortable and i mean kudos to this movie for making me so fucking uncomfortable it's tapping into something really really gross and perhaps that's why i don't like it i don't want to confront that and what that is about me is i have trauma but it's like it's a reality that i don't feel comfortable confronting i don't know i feel like your your response which i appreciate mary beth but i also feel like you're putting the impetus on yourself is like, oh, it's my fault that I don't like this movie. And you and my therapist would get along so well. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want you or Dak to think that I or Joe, but specifically me, because I'm the one talking, are are sitting here trying trying to make you like this movie. Oh, Oh, absolutely not. I'm just more fascinated by both of your reactions to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't think you dislike this movie because it makes you uncomfortable. Oh, that, that may be part of it. I mean, I think you have very, both of you have very valid reasons to not like this movie. And that's clearly also part of the filmmaker's intentions. Like, they know people are going to hate this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's also frustrating where it's like, we want them to hate it. It's like, oh, God, please don't tell me that's the only reason you're making a movie like this. That's actually what I'm stuck on, where I feel like that is mostly what they're trying to do is, I mean, maybe they are trying to explore or investigate toxic masculinity Mm. to some extent, but I almost feel like that was an accident. Like, to me, it feels like this movie was just like, what's the most fucked up thing you can think of? Okay, now let's film it. Oh, interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm stuck on that punk rock quote because a lot of times what people mean when they say that is like, we yeah. want to be a contrarian and we just want sure. to argue. And it's like, mm-hmm. sure, that's cool. I like when 
people stir the pot sometimes because otherwise things get boring. But like, I really think that the toxic masculinity investigation was almost like an, an accident. Yeah, an afterthought. And they were like, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's what we were doing. We were thinking about, um, our masculinity. But I think really they just wanted to make a really fucked up movie where people would get upset. And they did you that. Know, I am inclined to agree with you, Dax, when it comes to Haga's initial screenwriting thing. Because I can only see a straight white man working for trauma of all places mm-hmm. being like i'm gonna write a script that's gonna fuck people up it's gonna like it's gonna like be like really out there like re- really really confronting blah blah blah. It, I'm, it's edgelord right mm-hmm. yes that's what i get from it but i do disagree because i think that in the process of making this and i would even argue by having jenny spain on set and talking to jenny spain and working through this with her making sure she was comfortable made it maybe morph into what what now they're saying the intent was behind this film right i do want to bring in two more quotes from noah segan yeah and again it's from 2017 so this may be a hindsight perspective but he says it's a film about toxic masculinity it is a diatribe on the systematic failure to teach young men how to function properly in its latent homoeroticism the two boys channel all of their confusion inability to communicate love or develop consciences into the worst acts men can commit I will say, though, that, that scene where they're basically gang raping her, where Johnny's like fucking her, raping her mouth and um, Dwyer's raping her vagina. I was like, do straight men do this? <laughs> like, is yes, this something straight do. men just do? <laughs> like, I can just tell you 100% I, they, yes. They, they do. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is just bizarre to me because, again, growing up in, like, the suburbs of Texas, where I was like, oh, if you even looked at a guy the wrong way, you were called a faggot. So, like... I find it deeply ironic, I guess, that, that that straight men would be comfortable just, like, gang-raping someone. But it's because they're not touching, Trace. Oh, right. If you don't touch... Don't look at me, don't touch me, therefore it's not gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although there are some positions where they would be touching and it's not considered gay. Yeah. That doesn't make any... Straight men are so weird. <laughs> straight men are really gay. <laughs> I'm fucking telling you guys. It's weird being straight, but gay. I would consider myself straight, but gay. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our podcast. There you go. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, no, I totally... But the thing that I get stuck on is if they were really... There's two things. If they were really interested in investigating toxic masculinity, I feel like they would have had another female perspective like in the creative circle like writer or director well, maybe that's the 2008 to me yeah, well yeah i, I get that I, so I i i get what you're both saying but it's also kind of like but again like they're like hey we we relate to these kids we were these kids we grew up with these kids i get wanting to have a female perspective into here but to me yeah this is them working through their own toxic masculinity through these characters and again as as that makeup artist said we're telling these stories of these kids not the women not the the the, the, the rape survivors and that may be an issue which i totally understand if it is but this is their story. This is not the women's story, which again, in a movie about rape is something. Well, yeah. Right. But if your goal is to like investigate that, that's where I get hung up. Like sure. I get that it's their story, 
But, like, if your overall goal with your film is to dig into that, I feel like... I mean, again, I agree with Joe. Like, that is the 2008-ness of it, partially. Partially, I think that's just the maleness of it, where, like, I don't think it probably even crossed their minds to have a woman right. in the creative circle. Yeah. Like, to be honest with you. And I'm not trying to, like hate on these people or anything i really don't know anything about them i'm just saying i feel like that's just something that i i personally would have thought of if that was my intention with my film and i also want to touch on noah seaton's quote real quick Mm -hmm. so i agree with what he's saying but to some extent don't you think that that sort of puts the onus on the women of the film for not teaching the men because the women are absent. See that? That's also something I thought about with the mom. Like is there are we blaming yeah. the mom? The absent mom, well, the grandmother that, 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 who no, doesn't no, no, care. No, no, no. But 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 I, okay, but that that to me is commenting again as we've said the cyclical nature of toxic masculinity. We're not blaming the mother for being absent. We're blaming the father for continuing the cycle. I think it's also it's feeding into the revelation at the end of the film about Ricky, where it's like, oh, well, we could excuse his behavior because he's coming from this fractured home and his mom is never there. But it's like, okay, well, what's the excuse for JT, who's got this grandma that he knows would not approve of his behavior? Like, like I definitely think the film is saying, hey, where are the parents in all of this? Like, how come no one at the school is checking on JT when he's been absent for days? But that's every teen movie. Well, yeah, but... but Wheeler says that JT's grandmother doesn't give a shit about him. Right. Well, but he gives a shit about what she thinks. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. But I don't think the film is explicitly saying like, oh, the mom is never here and that's the reason why. Like, I think that's a factor because it is highlighting the fact that she is never there. But I think we could just as easily say, oh, well, she's never there, which means this fucking Clint guy is there with his masculine BS bullshit stuff. So, Yeah, I definitely I'm not trying to say that that's what the movie is doing or saying. I'm just. I'm just asking questions. That's what all the like, <laughs> just podcasters say. You know, like Noah Segan's quote, you could, if you wanted to like push the quote a little bit, you could say, like, why are the boys in the film, at least, not in life, but yeah. in the film, why, why aren't they taught? Well, all we know is that the parents are absent and they really only talk about the matriarchs of the family. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. But by no means am I saying that, you know, the, the film oh, is doing that. <laughs> it's fine. You, now you're just apologizing. Yeah, you, you do not need to apologize for any negative opinions you have about this film. Like, it, <laughs> to me, these are the conversations I, I, I know Joe, especially, too, likes having. Like, we, we so rarely have, A, these kinds of disagreements where it's like oh like, we like this thing and the other uh, our guests don't or i like this thing and joe doesn't um but when we do have those episodes they tend to be the most interesting <laughs> mm-hmm. i just always feel a need to like over explain what i mean because i feel like i i don't want to be unclear maybe that's my socialization coming out <laughs> well if anyone wants clarification you just reach out to dax on twitter don't because i won't answer oh it looks like dax has dropped out of the recording (laughs) (laughs) sorry to say (laughs) 
Okay. So this has been a, a unique episode, let's say. We haven't followed a traditional format, but I do think that we've gotten a lot of really good conversations out of it. And even if mm-hmm. we maybe haven't come to a resolution on some of these conversations, I also don't really think that's necessary slash the point. Um, we have four very different viewpoints here. And I think that we've opened the doors to a lot of conversations that I'm actually very intrigued to see what our listeners think of this and see, mm-hmm. again, as we've said multiple times, this is one of the most difficult films we've probably covered on this show. And I am eager, question mark, to see what everyone <laughs> thinks about this and our conversation again. I mean, like, I, I, I want everyone to be cordial. There's no right or wrong. But talk about this. I, I think that at the very least, if there's one good thing to come out of this film, it's this conver- the many conversations we've had about the multiple aspects of this film. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, agreed. I do want to say, too, though, um, Dax and Mary Beth, if you ever want to spend the money on this Blu-ray, I would die or I would be very intrigued <laughs> to know what your Die. thoughts are oh, on, the, on the commentary with Jenny Spain and her moderator. I will also say uh, I didn't get a chance to read it, but the PDF version of the script for Dead Girl 2 is included what? on this Blu-ray. Oh, interesting. Yep. So th- th- they actually had considered making it because the last we see of Dead Girl in this movie is she is running off into the field um, yeah. to live mm-hmm. her best afterlife. <laughs> two dead, two girl. <laughs> oh my god Jesus So yeah But I can't think of a cleaner way to wrap this up So I guess really um, before we officially close out Dax and Mary Beth as the guests of honor First of all thank you both very much for coming on To talk about this and kind of bear your soul About your feelings about this film But do you have any final words to say about this Before we uh, shut it down Thank you all for listening to me share a lot of personal things about myself i tend to do Mm -hmm. that a lot but i also i don't love doing it but i also like doing it because i like being able to you know if people who have had similar experiences are having a hard time you know i like to be able to share how i feel about these kinds of movies because i think they are important to talk about i think this is a really important movie to talk about and i'm you know i've been avoiding watching it for so long and as much as it's hard to watch i am glad i've seen it especially as someone who is so interested in depictions of a sexual assault on screen Mm -hmm. so um yeah thank you for getting me to finally watch this and having a honest conversation about it was this your first time watching it mary beth yeah i've avoided it forever i didn't know that (laughs) yeah Yeah, i didn't know that either (laughs) nothing like a podcast appearance to be like oh shit now i've got to do that thing (laughs) i just assumed that you'd seen this before (laughs) no avoided it forever because i didn't want to deal with the emotions that would come with it well thank you for dealing with them here (laughs) go uh please have your therapist send the bill over directly do not do that i do i will not pay for it but (laughs) send it to canada just buy me buy me a buy me some weed we'll call it even (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I'm just, like, happy to talk about challenging movies like this. So even though I don't like this movie, um, I'm happy to talk about it and I'm happy to be here. I'm just happy to be involved. So thank you. (laughs) And uh, now I'm, like, going back on something I said and it's like, maybe this was successful because it got us talking. So that's what it wanted overall. So It's still okay to not like the movie, Dax. Yeah, no, I don't apologize for not liking that. And <laughs> it, I just don't think it's like that good. Like, that's fair. that's also fair. Yeah. But I, when I was um, looking for it, I was like searching it like on my Roku to see if it was streaming anywhere. 
and it is on Screenbox. I was like, I thought I had this movie, and then I remembered selling it, and I was like, whoever bought that, sorry about it. But then I was like, I should rebuy it, and then I watched it again. I was like, nah. <laughs> but maybe for the Blu-ray stuff that you talked about, <laughs> just what give is him wrong some money. With me? What is wrong with me? You're masochistic. It's okay. I'm like it. It upset me and made me feel weird. I definitely gotta have it. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to say to add to that. I like this movie. I do admire this movie, but it's not a film that I really will revisit very often. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Absolutely not. Just not that kind of film. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, um, Dax and Mary Beth, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? So you can find me on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky at MBMcAndrews. You can find me on Instagram at MB.McAndrews. Make sure to follow Scarred for Life at Scarred Podcast on Twitter and uh, Dread Central, too, if you want some cool horror stuff. More horror (laughs) stuff on your feed. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'm promoting instead of bloody disgusting. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. you, you can still promote Dread Central. It's fine. <laughs> They'll just be real mad about it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, see, that's me stirring the pot. Yeah, and I'm at Daxi Bobbin. Um, we'll definitely have that spelled in the show notes, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's on Twitter and Blue Sky. And then on Instagram, I'm Dakota Muerte. Nice. All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to watch our Chucky reviews. uh, And tune in once a month to hear us talk about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. And if you have a moment, extra pretty please, special rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you subscribe today, you will get 270 hours of Patreon content, including this month's new episodes on <clears throat> Hell House LLC Origins, The Carmichael Manor, The Fall of the House of Usher, Five Nights at Freddy's, Thanksgiving, and our audio commentary on the original 1988 Child's Play. And Birth Rebirth. And birth rebirth. God damn it. And birth rebirth. <laughs> that was an extra bonus episode, y'all. Truly. <laughs> Joe. Yes. Week three of Toxic Masculinity Month will be on what? <sighs> Folks, don't worry. We're easing off the accelerator. This one is far more palatable. We are going to revisit some Leopold and Loeb territory, as well as Michael Pitt in an unintentional double bill this month. We're going to talk about murder by numbers i will tell you i actually rewatched this last year for the first time since like seeing it on vhs okay it is a little bit more slow than i remembered it being Uh, okay (laughs) i was gonna say is it a little bit clunky i'm mostly just like oh yeah it's young baby ryan gosling and michael pitt as well as a sandra bullock procedural well honestly the most interesting thing about this because in terms of career wise this was sandra bullock trying to break out of her like rom-com mold and her character is by conventional standards extremely unlikable Ooh, I already love it. Yeah, so so uh, come come for the Michael Pitt, Ryan Gosling, toxic masculinity. Come for the unlikable Sandra Bullock. <laughs> there we go. What more could you ask for? Uh, 
but until next week, everyone, we can cross out Dead Girl. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. (laughs) Thank you.